Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives. And how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with my good mate, business partner and group creative director at Frost Collective, Ant Donovan. It's been an honor seeing Ant go from a young, enthusiastic designer obsessed with magazines to become one of Australia's most highly decorated creatives and a loving father and husband to boot. If you're an Australian, chances are his work has had some sort of impact on you. And tune in as we chat about how he knew he wanted to be a designer at age 11 and how he stays constantly inspired and how to find original ideas in today's oversaturated world. Hey, Ant, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Good, man. Nice to be doing this. This is fun. This is fun. We did a prototype of this a (laughs) few years ago back in our old studio, but it never saw the light of day, unfortunately, so I apologize for that. Still on the cutting room floor. Yeah, it is. And um, it's been a few years, and so it's good to catch up again here in Sydney in our Alexandria studio. Um, We've known each other for about 20 years now. Well, probably just under 20 years, I think it is. Um, since I moved to Australia in 2003, I met you the year later, I believe, at Semi-Permanent, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, you're a business partner here. You're a group creative director. You're an incredible guy, a dad, husband, etc. Um, and um, a really person that's really well regarded in the, the creative community. So it's an honor to have you as a business partner and a friend and a, a fellow design colleague. You don't often in life get to work and be hang out with someone such a long period of time and kind of that time kind of creeps up on you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Um, what I've always loved about you, Ant, is your kind of endless determination and pursuit of the big idea. You know, you're looking for the, 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 the really a really strong idea. And, and often when you, you know, when you see it, when you find it, you go, holy shit, how do you think of that? You always crack it. Um, but let's talk about... Your early days, where did you start off and wh- where were you from originally? Yeah, um, so I grew up in Sydney, had two brothers. Yeah, I mean, had a, had a great upbringing. Um, obviously, I've been asked about this before, I guess, how the way I was brought up sort of led to what I did. My dad was a lawyer, but also had a bit of creative talent. He liked to paint landscapes and stuff so maybe that's where it came from Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess from a really from a really early age um i really loved art and drawing um i used to sell drawings at school i used to draw logos on my duffel bag um did my first design job when i was about 11 (laughs) designed the business card for my brother who was starting up his um own lighting business so wow. and that that was amazing like i remember kind of hand drill all and i remember looking back on it now it was rubbish but um taking it up to the print shop and then seeing it come back in this box and there were like you know, 100 of exactly the same wow. thing it was just i was hooked at 11 yeah jesus yeah. he was very trusting. I, mean, I was kind of more 
more impressed with him doing it looking back on it. Well, he was his 12. Own business. <laughs> he, uh, he was, yeah, he was like 13 or something. But was he really? Yeah. A lighting business. Yeah, like he basically had some lights and went around the neighbourhood and hired them out for like bar- barbecues and parties and stuff. He still does the same thing to this day. Like no. he's, he's like lighting, lighting and audio design. How funny. Yeah. And I also used to make all these like really elaborate decorations for like Christmas and birthdays and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I guess design was always sort of there. The other thing, you know, you talk about determination i'd agree i mean it's sort of it's also a bit of an illness i'd argue Mm -hmm. um but i've always loved sort of sport and i've always been incredibly um sometimes a little bit too fiercely competitive at all things and i guess maybe that comes from sport i hate losing i still don't really enjoy it that much Mm -hmm. i guess when you sort of maybe put those two together yeah i don't know every time a brief comes it's sort of Regardless of what it is, I always, you know, set out to make it, you know, the best thing I've ever done, or the best thing we've ever done. Yep. Yeah, I, I think can be an unfair expectation to place on yourself, but yeah, yeah, that seems I don't know. It seems seems to have been the way that things have worked, at least in the the early part of my career. So, how did you get into design, into design school? Yeah, good question. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> um, I'd never actually heard of graphic design as a thing. I don't, don't know if it's sort of, you know, now it's in high schools and stuff, like you actually study it. Yeah. Um, uh, but I remember, yeah, I mean, as I said, I'd always had sort of an interest in art. I kind of figured out fairly early on that fine art didn't seem like much fun. I didn't think, you know, probably wasn't good enough and I didn't like the idea of being a struggling artist. Um, I remember going to this careers night at school I think it was in year 10 or 11. And um, for the first time I heard commercial art, those two things put together. Mm. Um, and I read a little bit more about it. And I went, yeah, that's it. I just sort of knew that's exactly what it was. Well, what, um, what about, what was it about it that made you feel um, that? Uh, I suppose it just sort of seemed to connect all these dots that appealed to me. Um, from a really young age, I remember as a kid, like driving around, and I'd like pay attention to billboards and mm-hmm. like appreciate really great logo design without actually knowing what it was. Yeah. And I'd find myself doing my own logos and sort of dreamt of having a billboard one day or making a billboard one day. Um, I used to say to you know my brothers, look at that, you know, look at that billboard. They go, what? Not really getting it. Mm. But I just was drawn to it and loved it and even the art that it, I liked and studied at school was I guess very graphic by its nature like pop art so I'm really attracted to that so yeah I again came across this thing called commercial art which then yeah I think it was a you know, graphic design degree yep. and just went straight for it it just made a lot of sense to me and if I remember, there was that in Newcastle. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I actually tr- tried to get into a, a couple of colleges here in Sydney, um, and didn't. And it was actually a bit of a blessing in disguise, disguise, because actually leaving Sydney was one of the better things I've ever done. Sort of, you know, learned to grow up pretty quickly, even though it's only two hours up the road. Mm-hmm. Um, had an absolute ball. I surf a lot, so I lived across the road from the beach and 
really lived the lifestyle. Yep. Um, applied myself most of the time. Um, had lots and lots of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, you the first that twice now. The first, uh, <laughs> the first, <laughs> the first two years, we didn't touch computers. Computers were still relatively, um, you know, new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I, I actually think that students today shouldn't be touching computers for the first year or two. I know it sounds a bit sort of weird saying that, maybe a little old-fashioned, but you just really learn about craft and attention to detail. Like I remember drawing, I think it was like Franklin Gothic with a rotring pen, mm. the entire alphabet, all yeah. the glyphs, all of the things. Incredible, isn't it? It took like months. And, and if you made a mistake, you had to start again. Um, but yeah, really, for me anyway, like the the lessons that, came from that were just invaluable and then the bromides and letraset and all that sort of stuff just think the hands-on yeah the hands-on sort of approach i think was invaluable for me yeah yeah the craft yeah and i guess that's something i mean i know i'm probably uh, a decade older than you but uh, but i've kind of i was uh, from the, that time when there was no computers uh, when i was working no internet etc and it was all done by hand mm. some people think that was the worst time ever because it was so laborious mm. um but you're right it, it teaches you dr- hand drawing the alphabet even though someone already had designed it mm. teaches you what about space about pairing of letters etc and how they kind of come together yeah or the letter as a physical form as opposed to just purely a a I word th- i think you start to yeah, you start to appreciate type for what it is. It's an art form. You know, even, you know, Franklin Gothic, which seems fairly sort of, you know, agnostic and, you know, a bit vanilla. But when you actually get into it, you've actually got to copy it at a certain point size, you do really start to appreciate, you know, the, the craft and the attention and the love that's actually gone into that and, mm. you know, the nuance in type. And I think, you know, it's almost... Yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I think just that. And, you know, so many other things that we had to do by hand, like, we, you know, obviously photography, illustration, um, you just sort of, it, yeah, there's so many, like, graphic design, I, I think is, um, I don't know, it doesn't quite live up to what we do. I don't think it's enough. The term, yeah. I, yeah, I think design is, is much better, although maybe design's a bit broad, but yeah, it's so much... Sometimes it's about sort of curating an outcome. Other times it's about creating an outcome. And that can be with any number of different things. It can be with words, with images, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think really getting in, I think, I think it's the fundamentals that, that we got taught at uni. Yeah, I loved. I loved every second of it. And where'd you go after that? Was that a two-year course, three-year course? Four. Wow. Yeah, it took me five and a half years. <laughs> Why is that? I <laughs> uh, had, had a bit of a year off in between mm-hmm. um, for two reasons. So one was, um, I, yeah, one, one was that a tutor of mine offered me a job. Mm-hmm. She was working at this like local agency. So I did that for a little bit. I didn't, didn't particularly enjoy it though. It was too, bit too regimented. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I sort of did on the side as well, you know, aside from working in bars, was there was this local street press up there called Concrete Press. Um, it was meant to be, I think, every fortnight, but most of the time it was monthly. They were a bit slow, 
sometimes. But yeah, it was a street press magazine and I just did that for free. I used to go in every day and just say, can I do that, can I do that, can I do that? And ended up pretty much designing most of it most mm. of the time. That's cool. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that. And yeah, so it took me a little bit longer, but you know, um, I also, yeah, I was a bit young when I left school, so maybe I just needed an additional year, you know, just to mature mm. and catch up a little bit, but yeah. So what, after that, did you head to Sydney? Yeah, so the the agency that I mentioned, um, they, they were kind of aware of the fact that I wanted to um, move back home to Sydney. And um, I remember seeing an ad in the paper. Somebody showed me an ad in the paper. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald, the printed version, um, advertising the role of art director of Black and White. Mm magazine which was you know a pretty amazing magazine back in its day it was um and i just sort of left college and but it was like you know i i loved it I, my mum actually bought me copies of it along with many other magazines being a mm. struggling student bless her we can talk more about magazines in a minute and the types of magazines i used to love but um yeah and long story short i'd spent six months getting my portfolio together like day and night i literally like locked myself in my room for that long we, we had to make it on um this program called macromedia director so it was like all interactive i'd saved up and bought myself you know those orange imacs that came out the, see, yeah. the see-through ones yeah yeah it was cool. like the coolest thing but yeah i, I literally became um yeah, I just hid away. Nobody knew where I'd gone. Six months, I just worked on it day in, day out. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so back to the black and white thing. I applied for it thinking that I wouldn't have a chance. Um, sent it off in the post as you did those days. A couple of days later, got a call saying, come in, we want you to do a trial. Um, went into the studio uh, for two or three hours. It's like unbelievable. At the time, I just was like, doing here this place that I just revered and thought was like the most amazing place sat in there and the task was you know to redesign a cover and a couple of stories um I went away thinking that I'd not done very well and got a call um later that day saying start next week wow that was yeah very lucky right place at the right time the guy who had been the art director before me um had moved on obviously and there I was, at black and white as the art director. Yeah. <laughs> at a tender age of, how old would I have been? Like 22 or something. Amazing. Something like that. I remember seeing, when I first started coming to Australia in 94 or 5, to Melbourne, I remember seeing it around that time, between, you know, late 90s as well. And black and white was like A3 in size, I think, originally, quite a large format. Mm. Um, a bit smaller, but yeah. But very incredibly graphic, a lot of great photography. And it, and it felt like, and it was an independent publication. Yeah. It wasn't mass media or anything. And it felt, and it was noticed around the world too. I remember seeing it in London uh, and in New York and places like that. So it was probably like relatively short run, but it was kind of in a way well before these other magazines that were kind of kitchen table type projects. I know 
big magazine that I worked on was around that similar period too. I remember us looking at that over in London. Um, and it was really polished and well well made. You can never imagine it was done. It came out of Sydney. Mm. Uh, not to the, not yeah, that no. nothing good comes out of Sydney, but yeah. it's, it's always intriguing that it didn't come out of New York or London or something that's more more kind of editorial kind of yeah. origin. So Yeah, it was kind of, I think, probably from memory, it was one of the, the sort of first, I guess, coffee table type magazines, you know, it almost sort of bridged the gap between... It's, you know, a magazine being more of a disposable thing and then something that you then maybe thought of keeping. It was like more of a collectible. Yeah. And, uh, and it was incredible, though. Yeah, it really was. Um, and so uh, how, how many years were you there for? Four years. Wow. Yeah. And it was, was it like a big magazine where it came out like whenever it felt like coming out or was it was No, it, it, was, it was pretty fixed. So it was monthly. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, the pace was, yeah, I mean... A young kid. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't think. I don't think I. Um, I don't think I ever went home before like nine o'clock at night, um, mm. and I'd go in on weekends. But it didn't feel like hard work. It was like you loved it. It was incredible, and I also just felt such an expectation not to fail. Um, one of the one of the really kind of unique things about it was every single issue you got to kind of redesign it. Mm. There was no like grids or style sheets or, and the content was just unbelievable. Like you'd have, you know, like the best photographers in the world, like David Bailey, Rankin, Testino. It's just like, yeah, I, I didn't really value it that much at the time, but looking back on it now, it was like, wow, incredible. And then some of the best sort of, you know, writing to, to accompany all of that. Mm. Um, and yeah, very quickly, you know, I had to figure it out. And there's um, no one senior there in terms of design? No. And who, no. Was, who was the editor? A guy called Marcello Grand, this oh, Italian sorry. guy. Um, yeah, very suave kind of a... He was sort of the publisher and the, I guess, executive kind of creative overseer. It was his baby. It was his idea. Hmm. Um, he, you know, he was mostly just interested in, in the covers. He'd come and always sit next to me while I was doing the covers. Yeah. Loved, you know, he knew, he obviously knew what worked from a commercial perspective. Did you feel intimidating, not him sitting next to you, but in the, um, you know, being left alone to kind of try to work out what the whole publication looked like each time? Oh yeah, God yeah. But at the same time, I felt like I already knew it so well because I was such a fan of it. Like I had, like as I said, my mum had bought me pretty much all the issues. They, they weren't cheap. Or like twelve bucks, which was a lot of money at the time. Yeah. Um, so I had them all, and I studied them all, and learned a lot from them all. So I felt like I kind of already knew the magazine inside out. But yeah, I mean, every single article that came across my desk, you know, I'd sit in the editorial meetings in the morning, and it'd be like, "So we're doing a story on X. We're doing this. We're doing this." And um, KJ, the editor, she was great. Like she was so supportive. Um, I guess she saw something in me, but she'd sort of sit there and go, so how are you feeling about this today? I'd suggest that we try and get that, that and that done and just sort of break it down. So, yeah. And then, you know, by, by that, I don't forget how many issues I did, probably quite a lot in the end. You just become, you know, really quick at it. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's brilliant, right? Like when you've got such great photography to work with and yeah. It's, it's, We've, we've talked a lot over the years how 
designing magazines really you kind of wish that everybody had have has that experience because it teaches yeah. you so much in terms of storytelling hierarchy the craft of putting you know words and images together um, editing like all those things are kind of really help you across any aspect of design yeah even if you don't do magazine design anymore it's still absolutely relevant and the speed and the pace and the variety really does uh, and and the kind of, I guess that working with edit editors who are determined to tell a story or get a certain particular story across mm. and they obviously use us designers to to, ex to express that because mm. they can't or they can express what they want to achieve with it, but they can't visually represent that. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. Did you did you really value that one on one on one with the writers and KJ, etc.? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, it, I and I agree with you. Like, you learn to work with other people, mm. you know, in in every single facet. Be it you know the editorial team, be it the production team, be it the printers, um, be it writers, be it you know, commissioning illustrators, speaking to photographers. Like, I was art directing shoots and never really done that before. Yeah. But very ama young. amazing photographers sort of work with. So, yeah, you, you really do learn to, I suppose, trust and you really learn to, you know, curate an outcome with other people. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, again, I didn't realise that that's what I was doing and those were the lessons I was taking with me. Yep. As for the, I also learned about sort of healthy... Um, healthy tension with others from a very early age. I remember Nick, who was the features editor, he'd always, like, his stuff was amazing. Like, the stories he wrote were incredible, but I never felt like the titles he came up with were that good. Oh, they're, they're, they're always too long, which, as you know, yeah. <laughs> as an editorial designer, it's, you know, if you, if you can't have a short title... How do I deal with this? But um, yeah. I remember coming back, um, you know, with some other other suggestions, probably puns from memory. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't like this. What what is this? You know, what the titles I had sort of really clearly represent the story. These are just you know throwaway puns, probably something like that. Yeah. And then uh, KJ walked past and saw the design on his table. Went, oh, I like that. <laughs> Oh, so then what? But that's what we went with. So going forward, you just did all the headlines. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there'd be other times where you know it'd be uh, it'd be knocked back. But yeah, I, I'd like to think that you know for so, for a publication that was so incredible, there was a really only a core team of like four or five people, um, and you know you've got to get an issue out every single month and yeah. you've just got to learn to work together and trust each other but yeah i mean the pace is moving up to deadline was great i loved it um yeah but yeah every single month then you'd sort of have you know like a couple of days to take a deep breath and then you'd go again brilliant yeah and then the reward of you know seeing people walking around with your issue or seeing and seeing it at an airport or yeah a new stands, pretty cool. Yeah, highly visible. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too, you talk about kind of how there was no real guidelines around that uh, pu publication. Of course, a lot of publications, mainstream publications are set up with it. We've done that plenty of times, design yeah. a look and feel for it and the guidelines and people just roll it out um, every week or every month or whatever it might be. Um, Makes life a bit easier. 
Yeah, it does. <laughs> but but it, I guess it's uh, it's less expressive potentially because you are restrained and yeah. that's deliberate in terms of kind of helping create a brand and consistency around um, how how the communication is, how the stories are communicated. Mm. Um, having that kind of openness of good doing whatever you want is can be incredibly daunting, can't it? I mean, but mm. also it's liberating mm. in equal measures. I guess you kind of, as a young kid, um, you, you know, in your early 20s, beginning to kind of find your voice in design? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've often thought that if I, you know, had started at a magazine, I don't know, GQ, for instance, it would be very, you know, everything would be set up, there'd be a style. There's still room to express, mm. you know, a story, but more typically in the sort of opening spreads and things. I wonder how that would have, I don't know, I wonder how that would have sort of changed the trajectory. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder how that would have, I, I think that freedom that I had sort of really put me in good stead for, you know, the projects that we do. Yeah. Um, yeah every brief is so different. Every challenge is so different. Every Every opportunity is so different. And I think, therefore requires a different outcome. I think if you're already sort of thinking about grids and structure, uh, those parameters, I don't know, should, should there be parameters at that point, I suppose? I've gone a bit off course there. But no, 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 uh, you're right. I I think, let's, let's come I think, to that. I think sort of, you know, yeah, I think each story has its own flavour and therefore, I don't know, that, that sort of freedom of being able to express it that way I think is, is fabulous. Of course, yes, it's daunting. But God, it's good, you know, when, when you finally kind of move things around, it's like, oh, hang on there, that's good. Yeah. That feeling is brilliant. I don't know how to explain why that, why, why you have that feeling, but it's just all of a sudden everything just lines up and it just feels good. Yep. Uh, so we, we need, well, let's, let's come to that. Um, in terms of kind of big ideas and how they can stimulate the senses, um, you were that uh, black and white till for four years, or was it five years? Four. And why did you leave? Um, exhausted? Uh, got offered um, another opportunity at a um, big ad agency, actually, DDB. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously, yeah, publishing was great. I loved it. I felt like, you know, four years was a lot. Got offered more money, which was attractive. Didn't get offered a lot of, didn't get paid a lot of black and white. <laughs> Marcello never really put his hand in his pocket for much. Nice guy. Nice guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he'd created a product that, you know, where people just wanted to work for him regardless of how much they got paid. And it wasn't yeah. really ever about the money. But yeah, I thought the opportunity to go into a different space was interesting. So yeah, I headed off to DDB. Mm -hmm. um, that was interesting. Um, it was sort of at the time when, uh, yeah, there was sort of just becoming this sort of, I guess, greater appreciation for design in the advertising space. Mm -hmm. um, I was sort of put in this weird sort of space of the, you know, there were all the art directors and then there was the design studio. And I sort of was put in with all the art directors, which created a bit of tension. Um, and it was sort of my job to take on the briefs, which, I don't know, they, they felt were more sort of fit for me. Um, I remember one of the first things I did being on a shoot for Volkswagen. Um, there were 90, somebody told me this, there were 97 people on that shoot. 
Jesus. And I was in charge of the creative output. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. There was someone whose job it was to hold an umbrella over my head. There was another person whose job, every time they moved the car like a couple of inches, they had to take the wheel off so the logo was the right way up Jesus. when they put it back on again. It was just unbelievable. It was the money. Did you drive them crazy? Yeah, just move it another <laughs> inch. <laughs> I tried not to. I tried not to say as that much, but I mean, the car kind of looked great because they had, you know, incredible lighting people and everything. Yeah, but the the job was to get two still photographs of this car. It was down at Jones Bay Wharf, and um, it ended up on a billboard. So there's the billboard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was particularly the best image of a car I've ever seen, but I think it was a Passat from memory. And anyway, but yeah, that 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 was DDB. Um, did you did, did one job there? Uh, I also worked on Wrigley's, the yeah. chewing gum. And yeah, a bit controversial these days, but I also did some stuff for TAB. Oh, how, long were, how long were you there for? About three or four months. Oh, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your probation period. Yeah, I was there um, for about three or four months. Well, we met just then, didn't we? Yeah, you're you're kind of the reason why it was only three or four months. Oh, okay. So no. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's. Anyone well, from our DDB? our our meeting was the was the reason why it was only three or four months. Anyone from DDB who wasn't that Volkswagen <laughs> shoot, please get in touch and yeah. tell us the true story here. <laughs> How many sandwiches did he have? Yeah. Um, and was he smoking? He probably was. Yeah. I, yeah. Mum, if you're listening, I, w- I wasn't. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, I think it was 2004, uh, a semi-permanent, you were talking, I was yeah. talking. I don't know why we connected, but we did. And I think it's probably black and white, uh, probably the publications designs and stuff like that. Um, but we... Um, you were smoking too. Oh, don't. My parents listened to this. <laughs> you know how stressful it was moving to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird thinking of you smoking. Oh, God. Stopped that a long time ago. Yeah. That was a brief period. Um, anyways, um, hang on. This is not meant to be expose. <laughs> Are you just paying me back? <laughs> but yeah, so we we both talked. Um, it was a big audience, right? It was like yeah. two thousand people. Yeah, frightening. Um, you reenacted a photo shoot or something. Yeah, it was pretty. It felt like a good idea. Dramatic, and I think you were nervous about it at the time. Yeah. I, I actually saw what I saw on you even then in the back room where all the speakers was, was just that kind of constantly thinking, you know, you were thinking all the time uh, and about kind of, pull it, you know, pulling it off or doing it or making it better. Uh, and that's what I love about you, Ant, just that, that constant, like an idea is never good enough. It can be frustrating for a lot of people, yeah. um, but I certainly respect that and, um, you know, trust that you always will have that determination and, and uh, uh, know that when it's when it's right, when an idea is right. So we kind of we joined. You joined the business um, back then, I guess, in two thousand four, um, which is a long time ago now. It's like uh, eighteen years ago, and you've had. Um, and I remember the early days. I remember talking about Matt Willie when he when he came into the business back in London. There was an initially there was a time when he was just kind of getting incredibly stressed and freaking out over kind of not getting it or the pressure of delivering you know to deadlines. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember, was it a Macquarie Bank and report or something that I remember you was in pretty, you were very stressed about it. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's not nice to be at that kind of breaking point, but what was that? Because it's, it's like, what well, I think is wonderful. More, more to the point, I want to understand what that is because other people will feel the same thing. But what was more important was the fact that you broke through that and came out the other side of that. Yeah. As a stronger, and then you kind of were away. You were away with f idea after idea after idea. Yeah, uh, I have thought about it actually. Um, I think coming from a coming from sort of an environment where I had so much sort of freedom um, to, yeah, I guess bring sort of stories to life and there's uh, quite quite a lot of autonomy. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, every issue was different. I could choose whatever fonts I wanted to, whatever colors I liked at the time. It wasn't frank. It came great, right? Like, um, yeah. to moving into what was at the time quite a serious design studio with very sort of, you know, serious people. And it was. I mean, it's not, not that way anymore, but at the time it was. And I mean that with all respect. I mean, you know, like it, it was like Emery, Emery Vincent it was when I first joined. Um, Emery Frost. No, it was Emery Vincent. Okay. Only just. Hmm. But yeah, um, I think moving on to a project like Macquarie Bank that for me just felt like it had so many kind of hurdles and barriers in the way I had to use Helvetica and I had to use that version of Helvetica and I have to use these colors. Like brand guidelines, I'd never come across a brand guideline yeah. in my life. Very, very and it's got And it's got to be A4 and it's got to be templated and it's got to be gridded. And I think I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, and I just completely lost. You know, you're probably thinking to yourself, God, why have I hired this guy for? Well, I, w I told you that before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was thinking... No, what, I felt and, for you. And I, and I was thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Um, thinking I was no good. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, I guess it's one of those things where you, you know, you either keep going or you don't. And... Um, I kept going. Mm. Yeah, and I think so much of what we do as designers, I think, yeah, sure, talent's one thing, but I think confidence is even more important. Yeah. I think when you're confident, um, I think things just sort of seem to appear and present themselves. Um, whereas when you don't have that confidence, it just clouds everything. It's a horrible place to be. But yeah, I, I, I do remember, um, I do remember what, I forget what brief it was, but I remember kind of landing on something and everyone going, oh, that's great, that's great. And then all of a sudden my confidence came back. It didn't have, uh, what makes it sound easy, it was really hard, but yeah, I stuck at it. I kind of, like, I, I loved the work that the studio was doing and I wanted to succeed. I like going back to the whole thing about failing and being competitive yeah. I hate I hate the idea of of not doing well. Which is, you know, blessing and a curse, but I yeah. just kept going. And I remember you and I used to work really closely on, on probably all the projects, majority of the projects in the studio. Yeah. Um and that was way back then. And um I guess I save that same kind of approach of just never being satisfied until you crack the big idea or an idea that certainly resonates, it makes you feel, makes you tingle or makes you feel that kind of eureka feeling. Mm. And that's such a great feeling. It's kind of weird today 
we're still very passionate about ideas, but so much has changed with technology mm. uh, and the world of um, how we consume information. It's not, I guess, the way it used to be. It's not just the billboard or the publication as it was before. Mm. And now it is, you know, internet, Instagram, you know, all, all kinds of social media, all kinds of ways of, of communicating. And um, that's kind of made the world bigger or more accessible, but equally more but smaller in terms of it looks like the world's all, everyone's doing the same thing. Mm. And I guess a lot of people are looking and being inspired by the same thing. Where for you do ideas come from? Um, from the brief. Okay, good. Next well, question. And no. well, I know it's a very, very short <laughs> sort of to the point response. But yeah. Yeah, ideas must come from the brief. Um, I, a long time ago, I decided to stop looking at design inspiration from elsewhere because you quite, it just drives you mad. Mm. There's so much good stuff out there. Yeah. I think it leads to anxiety. I think it leads to, even though it might not be intentional or not, it leads to, I don't know, you end up sort of subliminally mimicking stuff yeah. you've seen, which isn't healthy. It's not why people come to us, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, great, great ideas come from great briefs. And if the brief isn't great, that's up to us to make it better by asking better questions. Mm-hmm. And really getting to the heart of um, what is meaningful, I think, about the opportunity. And that's, for me, what we try and do each and every day, try and find the meaning and what is meaning in the problem or what is meaningful in the opportunity. If it means something to you and if you can connect with that, then you've, I think, got a far greater chance of cracking it. Mm-hmm. If it means nothing to you, it's probably going to be rubbish. Yeah. If that's you don't that, believe in that's it. the truth, yeah, you've got to believe in it. Yeah. You know, even going back to, you know, when you talk about your work or when you've got to sell your work in, um, I'm petrified of speaking in public places. You know, be it to five people around a table or to lots of people. But the thing I've always, I think you might have told me this. The thing that makes me always feel better about that is if you believe in what you're saying, others will too. That's mm. true. Yeah. And, you know, that feeling you have when you crack an idea, it generally means that all of those dots have connected to create that meaning that you're looking to create. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah, I don't know, it's a joy. That's that's why we do what we do. Yeah. And h- how have you found over the years, I mean, obviously we've had, I think about 40, 45 people here in Sydney, uh, but over the years we must have had hundreds, if not thousands of people come through the, bi- through the building working here how do you how do you find working with people and nurturing talent and uh helping people kind of grow yeah it's been a it's been an evolving journey um you know you and i've spent many many hours together talking about the rewards of sort of letting go and letting other people seeing other people kind of figure it out Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's it, it is the best thing when you, when that happens. I guess there are projects that where I'm sort of you know really sort of hands off and just sort of directing, and there are other projects that I'm more sort of involved in. I get just as much joy from seeing somebody else crack an idea. Mm-hmm. I love seeing the joy in their face. I find that so rewarding, and I think 
that just comes with experience, I think. I think some people are naturally good at it. I'd probably say that I wasn't. But letting go, not having the control, not being responsible for the outcome, mm. I did struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Now I just find it so incredibly rewarding seeing other people do that. But yeah, I mean, over the years, been blessed to work with some amazing people, strategists, designers, writers. Um, I love my favorite part of a project is where that group of people sit around a table and we just sort of start talking about it, what it might be or what mm. the brief means to us or what we yeah. think the opportunity is. That might be with the client. It might just be with the team. That's my favorite, favorite part. That's where it's, I don't know, where just everything just feels so fertile and it's where you begin, you know, that treasure hunt, looking, looking for the thing that's going to, um, you know, connect. Mm. And it's been really cool over the years to see you evolve as a person, you know, as a man, as a dad, as a designer, as a design director, creative director, partner. It's been really cool to see your evolution and to see that you haven't, that kind of determination hasn't diminished. No, no. no I mean, you know, I, I love to see how, I mean, it, pisses me off no end when I'm sitting here kind of sketching an idea and you start ske- and I'm going this is what I'm doing and you go <laughs> you start sketching something or you're in a meeting and you walk into my podcast room with a post note with a better idea sketched out it's like god damn it <laughs> um no that that kind of that playfulness that that hunger to crack an idea that's that's still there yeah um, I think you know you're by no means done but you're still as determination determined as ever yeah and I think it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But it's it's what I love to do, yeah. Um, and therefore, it's something I enjoy doing. Um, it's you know, there's times obviously where it's important to switch off. That time and that perspective is so important. But yeah, I'm, I'm just as just as hungry to do all the things that I've always done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about um, some brands that you've worked with in Frost Collective over the years that you've, you know, really enjoyed and really excited about? One of the things, one of the things I love about, you know, this place is the diversity of things that come our way. You know, one minute you could be working on, um, you know, a sexual health campaign for, you know, an organisation like Acon. Next minute you can be working for like a big corporate organisation. But, you know, Again, it's about trying to find, I suppose, the meaning in all of those opportunities and you know, being able to do justice. But, yeah, I mean, probably the work we've done for Acon is really close to my heart. I think the effects, the positive effects of, you know, the work that we do for them is, is evident and the reward is immense. Um, and, you know, to this day, they actually sent an email yesterday saying they've got a new brief for us, so mm-hmm. that, that continues to blossom. Yep. Um, there's obviously also been a number of projects over the years where I kind of, you know, wish I could do them again. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunities where we haven't done so well. Yeah. But maybe that's, you know, the perfectionist in me. I w- I'm, I'm hoping and presuming that's only a few projects, but I know what you mean. Like sometimes just no. as you're going out, you go, shit, I got the idea. Yeah. It's kind of too late then. Yeah. No, but I mean, so, so many, um, 
I can't really, I, I, I don't really want to name okay, them all, all right. but yeah, I mean, just so, so many for so many different reasons. Let's talk yeah. about um, the National Maritime Museum, because um, I think that's, that's a project that has, you know, you're heavily involved in driving that, leading that creatively, and that has kind of become quite a, I guess, a design icon in itself mm. in Sydney, and it, it's, it's been literally rippled around the world. It's got a lot of awards and stuff around the world, which is super cool. And to kind of talk about that project, I think, in terms of, you know, the National, is it National Maritime Museum? The Australian Even National longer. Maritime Museum. So yeah, it's a exactly. big one. Yeah, yeah, holy yeah. shit. Can you make that shorter, please? Which, which is what you did. Um, and yeah, it go, goes, back to it. Like, goes back to the magazine days, doesn't it? Exactly. Where, you know, put a pun on the table and see if it flies. Um, yeah. No, but... I mean, you know, as always, we start with the strategy, we start with the brief, we spoke to, you know, thousands of people. Um, it really did feel like a dusty, old, antiquated experience. And they wanted to, you know, obviously turn themselves to the future and become more, more relevant. Um, Cat Burgess, the brilliant Cat Burgess, worked on the strategy and I was involved throughout that process. It was all about sort of, I guess, capturing this idea of the spirit of adventure. Um, I don't know, when you think about maritime and what that means, like what does it mean to you when you think of the word maritime? What's your... What's Na your Navy. Navy, yeah. Like old white guys with beards and sailors and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, what it actually means is all things bound by the sea. And, you know, when you think about Australia, it is Australia's National Maritime Museum. Australia is bound by the sea. Mm -hmm. like we're a huge island, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've, I have, I, I love the sea. I love the ocean. I love the water. Um, and, again, it was about trying to find that sort of meaning, you know. Like, why would I go to this place? Or why would all these other people who they're trying to get go to this place? What would make it more engaging, more relevant, more modern, more contemporary? Um and for me, that there was this, there was this thing that somebody said in one of the workshops. It's like, how do we sort of harness the power of our connection to the sea? Um, and yeah, I'm working on kind of ideas and wrote down museum like with an A, museum. And um, in one of the tissue sessions that was there on the wall, I was thinking, oh god, there's no way they're gonna go with that. And immediately, everyone just started going, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And then it just kept, you know, gaining sort of more momentum and it became the thing. So, yeah, it, what we do a lot of the time is just try and make things more more sort of engaging, more persuasive, more easily understood. Yeah, simplify. Simplify, less is more. And, you know, it was a convenient little gift that, um, yeah, took off. Only a designer can spell museum incorrectly and get away with it. <laughs> it has created a few issues in terms of, you know, is it the museum or is it the sea museum or what have you? But I'd like to think that, you know, over time it will just become synonymous. I think it maybe already is. Who knows? But I think that yeah. when it's a, a, a good idea like that, which I know is super hard to come up with. Um, I remember working with Swiss Re in Zurich on the Center for Global Dialogue. And over time, I made this Swiss flag out of two quote marks because it's in Switzerland and it's about dialogue. And I remember just working on that for days, all kinds of ideas prior to that, and then coming across that and going, holy crap, 
this it's that holy crap moment where like the museum museum uh one that you just go wow that is something you'll never not see again mm. and and something that is so memorable and it is clever it's not trying to be clever or is it maybe it is trying to be clever maybe it's trying to be it's trying to create it's like when someone says oh the american express no so the fedex logo the the one that was the abbreviated version where it has the arrow in inside it uh fedex yeah fedex yeah yeah and um you know no one know no one knew it was there until someone points it out and you go oh my god that's genius but it's just two words together previously mm. Mm. um but it's seeing i guess seeing the thing that other people don't see don't see or don't have the luxury of sitting there for days thinking about mm. what could you create how could you create a connection a memorable connection with with a brand yeah an experience and i guess that that's something which is i i love that when we're in situations where you present that back to a client and no longer is it kind of us working in isolation normally it's much more transparent mm. process but that feeling that you get that eureka feeling is um shared by clients too and they go mm. oh my god how did you do that where did that come from or that's just clever yeah i love i love when clients say god i can't believe we didn't think of that yeah it's cool yeah, yeah. really really cool really, yeah. really cool and um it then means once they see that they then have the buy-in and they're 100 percent supportive of that and yeah. back that and believe in it and protect it even from yeah. from future yeah no it's cool and you know I, I love that 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 was sort of a skill set that came from designing magazines you know it's this there's something really nice about that let's just talk about originality because obviously as designers and people coming to us to come up with ideas to help them with their brands is that they do that they want an original idea they want an idea that's going to be effective they want to help elevate their organization or their business or their communication or product or whatever it might be. So in the past, we've kind of been so focused on originality. And it's, I guess what you're talking about before around the idea comes from the brief. It has a higher chance of being original if it comes from the brief mm. as opposed to a style thing that's imposed on, on, a, on a problem. Um, it's kind of, we've had this conversation a bit lately around AI and its influence on originality or how do you protect IP or how do you ensure that what your idea is original because of what you see every day. Like if you look through a few design books in the past, there's a lot less kind of work to look at to influence you versus 24-7 yeah. Instagram feed of stuff you know, you might not even see it, but it might influence you somehow. What's your view on that in terms of kind of originality or the importance of it or uh, creating original ideas? Oh, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really important to strive to create original ideas and outcomes, but I also think it's incredibly hard um, because of what you, you know, saying there's just this wealth of stuff out there and it's yeah I, like I said I've sort of shut off from it because I find it suffocating mm. um, but, but, but we in the past have done something that we thought was yeah. original and then we hear from someone you in hear from someone else yeah I mean I don't know maybe we've run out of things to do I don't <laughs> I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. believe that but oh, I 
do, I do believe, though, that you can end up with some sort of nasty, you know, coincidences. People are using the same typefaces, you know, using the same sorts of colours, using the same shapes, those sorts of things. I don't know. Sometimes it can happen. But, again, I, I, think, I think really so long as you have that, um, I suppose, intent to solve a problem from a brief and not from reference that you've seen, Mm-hmm. I think you're going to end up in a sort of far more original place, I would have thought. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about, I guess, what is original, it might be, it doesn't have to just be the thing that's the visual thing, it might be the strategic idea, it might be a colour, it might be that you make a typeface, it might be, you know, the way that you've articulated a business's values. I think it can come in a different sort of forms, but... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it can come in different forms, but I do think it's really important to sort of strive for it. I really do. I find so much stuff looks the same. It's trend-based, mm. and it just sort of doesn't excite me. It doesn't get me out of bed. Yep. Um, it's sort of more aesthetically led as opposed to being idea-led, and I think if you, yeah... I think I think work that is idea led I think has sort of far greater impact and connects with mm-hmm. a far broader audience. It's, it's I guess like since we started as individuals at different times, but the the role of the designer has changed dramatically as well, because actually it's not just graphic design anymore. It no. is far more around customer experience, business experience, business consulting. Um, strategy you know we've got an incredible talent pool in the collective um but i think in terms of our role as designers it is quite a significant change which i which i personally love because i love that responsibility and and knowing that you can uh influence a business and organization individual in a really incredible way beyond a font or a logo or anything like that Mm. so to be able to sit at a I always pinch myself when I'm sitting at a table with a, you know, some CEO of a multi-billion-dollar business, and I've I've done really badly at school, and I did a BTEC diploma in visual communication for two years, and uh, those guys might have done really badly at school too. Yeah, but at the time, you kind of previously you kind of always felt that you had kind of, you know, not done so well. Yeah. But just through, I guess, sheer determination of wanting to help people to be the best they can be. As a side we, note, it is it is kind of crazy where this graphic design thing has taken you and I, right? And most graphic designers like would never have thought you end up in the situations that I've ended up in. Yeah, it's cool. It's bonkers. Yeah, I, initially I intimidating. I didn't, I didn't really have you know designing, starting off designing logos and things. It's like you end up in all these different situations, meeting all these different people. I, that's not what I thought it would be. But it's great. It continues to surprise. Yeah, and it those and the challenges get bigger, and the challenges and opportunities get seem to get larger. Do you, do you see um, process is still the same though? Process is the same. Um, technologies change obviously, and um, do you see a pattern in that? Because I mean, I, 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 you know, sometimes a younger person, a younger younger designer might see. Um, Oh, that's just another branding job. Or oh, another logo. Or oh, another packaging job. Oh, it's another ba- another bank or whatever it might be. 
as opposed to seeing the uniqueness in that. It, yes, it, you could see it as a pattern. You could see, oh, here's yeah. another charity. No, I, I, think, I think if it's a bank, it's like, well, what's special about that bank? If it's a charity, why does that charity exist? Mm. And you just keep asking questions till you get to the bit that, again, is meaningful. Mm. And that you can then, um, you know, use as a catalyst to then start thinking. But that's it. It doesn't matter what. So, yeah, opportunities get bigger, sometimes even smaller. Um, whether they're overseas or here or whatever sector they're in, but for me, the process is still fairly similar. Mm -hmm. And it's about trying to find that th that thing that trying to find that that nugget, that piece of meaning that you know you think that you can then make something of. And it's really hard if, if you don't have that. I mean, I've been in many situations with clients over the years and I just keep asking why, 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 why. And they're not able to answer. And then they end up getting pretty ordinary work, I reckon. Yeah. If that thing that they're doing is an original, you know, going back to originality, if the thing that they're doing is an original or special, they're not going to get... Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to manufacture, I think. It's always much nicer when there's a story there. There's something... All the time that a client, which ha doesn't happen very often um, over the years, but at the time when a client kind of really tries to direct the outcome, you end in this really bad, not always, sometimes it's actually genius, mm. but a lot of the time it ends up in this kind of hybrid kind of situation where you don't feel it, you know, you don't feel that this is a, a great idea. And I guess that's, that kind of comes back to then that kind of creative collaboration as opposed to in the past where it was a kind of a creative designer or guru, you know, I hate that term, but you know what I mean? Like someone who's like a highly valued as a, as an a idea person or designer working alone on that situation work versus working today is far more collaborative and transparent and, and a lot of input from a whole bunch of people. It's interesting. How do you navigate that to create that outcome and still feel it when multiple people have in, it put input into it? Um, I think the input's invaluable. The people that are briefing us know, know their problem or their, their challenge better than we do. So I think it's really about how you utilise them as a resource or as a part of the partnership mm -hmm. um, to get the best opportunity. And, yeah, I mean, I find that going away and designing behind closed doors isn't anywhere near as effective as, you know, sharing and iterating and... But again, what you get better at is sort of controlling that. So, mm. you know, you might sort of, you know, present, you might present some things and, you know, obviously we're going to gear this towards this because, you know, it's the best. But we might sort of ask some questions around what they think around that colour or that colour. Mm -hmm. Not in a way that's manipulative, but just in a way where, you know, at the end of the day, people are coming to us for our expertise. Every relationship's different. I think when people are... You can tell they want to be more involved, that's great. When people want to be less involved, that's great also. I think it's always different. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that... You have to read the room, right, a little bit, as you, as, yeah. you, as you, you know, it comes with experience. It comes with experience. I think there's also, there's an aspect of entertainment in it and yeah. salesmanship and things like that where it kind of knowing how to reveal 
the pace of the reveal, yeah. the unve unveiling of the story to then make sense. You just go, remember the early days, I'd just show somebody a logo or just show somebody a piece and go, I worked really hard on this, <laughs> here it is. Um, and they would just look at it and kind of not have that same, same engagement as opposed to yeah. that kind of, this was the initial kind of, this was the brief, this is where the starting point was, this is what your input was, <laughs> tried this, tried that, come across this in the brief and this influenced this, 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 this. you kind of that, the yeah. unveiling of it. That kind of taking them on the journey makes a massive difference. I think, I think people ultimately want that, um, want the currency that is the story. Mm -hmm. There's a really obviously there's a value in that, you know, beyond what you're just looking at. It's like, well, where did that come from? And yeah. why did you make those decisions? Because you tell that story in a good way that's the story then that will catch on and that's the story that they will then go and exactly. tell. Um, I think a lot of the time, and it's like, pisses me off, but a lot, of, a lot of designers think of themselves as graphic designers, not as communicators. Yep. Um, why have you done that? Why have you put that there? Why is that like that? People, I think, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that isn't taught enough, but I, f I find that people don't think about what they're doing as communication. What we do is about communication, be it, you know, the, the end product or be the way you sell it in. You need to be able to, you know, if you're not, if you're introverted, I am, you need to get, you need to be comfortable at being able to share your story. And like I said, if you believe in what you've done, that becomes pretty easy. Yeah. doesn't matter how you tell it, but yeah, I think, being able to sort of communicate what you do is, is so important. Absolutely. And interesting, you mentioned it being introvert. I mean, I think <laughs> we both were, both are. I think this is the longest amount of eye contact we've had <laughs> in 18 years. Uh, <laughs> I know, I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> you, are, you are fidgeting a bit there, my friend. I am, I never sit still. In terms of your own well-being, I know that you struggled in the past with the pressure of, you know, everything um and you you seem to me in a much better place in the last few years in terms of your calm and your you know you seem happy and i know that swimming and surfing is a really plays a really important part in your life mm. um what is that why do you do that and what does it do for you yeah it's a good question um I never never really i don't i find it hard to switch off just full stop yeah always have um, I've got I'm quite quite a restless person. Um, I've always struggled to sort of meditate, strike a balance, relax. Um, always work on things far too much. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, balance. You, know, you end up sort of wearing yourself out a bit, don't you? Mm. Over time, mm -hmm. years and years and years and years and years of doing the same thing. Anyways, so. Um, it took a while to kind of figure it out, but one of the most valuable things you can do is to learn how to switch off, however that is for you. Um, perspective is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. um, if you kind of let your brain sort of be, you know, not, if you, you stop sort of, you stop trying to sort of, I guess, overthink things. If you're sort of present in a situation, your brain will be a hell of a lot more productive, I find. And so swimming was something I sort of discovered about eight years ago now, seven years ago, 
I started doing it at lunchtime and it was half an hour or an hour, whatever. And it, swimming's so great because it's like it's exercise. It's also quite meditative, mm. um, but it, uh, which can then lead to sort of, you know, being pretty productive in terms of some of the <laughs> thoughts you might have. On a good day, it can do all three of those things. Yeah. Um, but I think more importantly, I used to always have this attitude of, oh, I don't have time for a lunch break. Mm. Got too much to do. Taking that break, um, I quickly sort of figured out was made the afternoon twice as productive mm-hmm. and it worked and you know, still to this day I'm doing it yeah. and it's great. I mean, the balance and a lot of the lessons that have come from that and the, you know, the, the lessons I've sort of for myself and for others that I've been able to pass on has been incredible. I wish somebody had told me to start going swimming 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. But I would have just seen it as wasting time. Yeah. You know? Or going home, you know, before 8 o'clock at night. Well, for for me, it would have been slacking off or... Yeah, you mentioned that. I mean, I know Leah, your wife... Um, but it's true, though, because me, I, I just wanted to... me for those late <laughs> nights. <laughs> well, no, but again, you know, like, I was there doing it because I love doing it. I want to make that clear. Like, but sometimes the harder you try, the less things happen. Mm, yeah. Actually going, right, well, that's enough. Yeah, I'll come back. I'll you know have a break. Come back. It's it's always better. And you stopped drinking five months ago. Yeah, I stopped doing that too. And how do you feel? Yeah, I feel better. I wouldn't say like you know I've had a grand awakening or anything, but it makes swimming a lot easier. Um, yeah, I just feel a bit I more. Just to feel a bit more sort of level. I remember how good a dancer you were <laughs> with that beer in your hand. Yeah, I, I, I suppose, <laughs> you know, without I don't know, without oversharing, I suppose it was a way of um, trying to force myself to sort of switch off and relax. Became a habit, albeit a bad one. And, um, yeah, not so long ago, I just thought, try try not doing that. And, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I don't I don't know... If I'll ever have a drink again, I'm not sure. I haven't decided yet, but yeah. um, for now, it's working. It's really cool. I mean, we this podcast is called Design Your Life, and I'll ask you that in a second. But <laughs> it's interesting through life how you know you talk about your journey, which has been really interesting, and yeah. I'm sure everyone's going to love hearing about your life. Is that how you kind of over time, as one over time, kind of grows and tries different things, and how things you've done in the past are teach you how to deal with things now and in the future and some things you still discover through life mm. that um at the time might feel obvious like as you say going swimming every lunchtime might seem like a luxury but it's a transformed you as a person hasn't it which made a massive change yeah. to you. i wouldn't say uh, yeah I, I wouldn't say that's been by design um i'd say it's probably just been by you know being in the right place at the right time and being quite lucky um mm-hmm. Uh, as I get older, potentially, I start. I, I think you become more sort of, I guess, um, I don't know, you sort of gravitate towards things that you know are going to be better for you. Mm-hmm. That, again, comes with experience, doesn't it? But, um, yeah, I'm quite sort of spontaneous and quite sort of restless and I'm always sort of curious. So, yeah, most of the time I end up in good places. But I wouldn't say it's by design. Your, your two boys, Mitch and Albie, are, are either of them showing kind of creative traits? 
Yeah, I think both of them in different ways. Um, Mitch probably more so, but yeah, they've both got. I think they're both pretty curious. In in general, what, who was it? Was it Albie that said to you one day, "I see what you did there, Dad." Was it Mitch or Albie? I can't remember. You said that to me once. Uh, that yeah. made me laugh. And, uh, yeah, they they often, um, you know, have a bit of a um, a view of some of the things I'm doing, like sitting on the couch next to me. Um, Dad, what what's that for? What's that you're doing now? Why have you done it like that? And yeah, it's pretty sweet. Mm. Albie will like, you know, jump onto my sketch pad sometimes and like design a logo for whatever it is I'm doing. I remember. Oh, that's the source of the talent. Okay. Yeah. I get, I get, oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I love, I love the way that kids think. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's so, um, so unfiltered, so pure. So yeah, I, I, if, if they end up wanting to be creative or, you know, do something in creative field, good luck to them. I think they'd both rather play in the NBA, to be honest. They're, they're both <laughs> basketball nuts. Well, if they've got your height, I'm sure they will. Well, yeah, um, being such a tall person. And it's been so cool to have you on Design Your Life. Thanks, bud. Thanks, bud. Been a, been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Your Life with my good mate, business partner and group creative director of Frost Collective, Ant Donovan. Tune into the next episode where I catch up with the awe-inspiring Andrew Quilty, one of the world's most influential photojournalists whose work over eight years in Afghanistan helps spread accurate news and tell the heart-wrenching true stories of those affected by war. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.